Welcome to Everybody Has Shit. I'm Kim Reed. This podcast is an open invitation to put your wellness on another level. You no longer have to keep your autoimmune disease or whatever it is that's holding you back a secret. Secrets hurt us. Everybody has shit. So let's all get better together. Let's all try to overcome the challenges we are facing and live our best life. Here we go. Barbara Lee Edwards, the bright, beautiful face from Channel 8 News, who abruptly disappeared at the end of 2020. She details her life-altering event and how she's doing now. She's easy to talk to, she's fun, and her story isn't finished. Enjoy. Barbara Lee. Yes. So I've been tracking you down for a while. <laughs> Which you, is weird because I really don't go anywhere anymore. You were not easy. You were not an easy get. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I went through even Marcella and she's so nice. She's a sweetheart. Oh yeah, my gosh. My she's girl. so nice. How long have you been in San Diego? 21 years. I cannot believe that. Yeah. Flew by as you know, time does. Yeah, they it does. Say. As you get closer to the yeah. center, it spins <laughs> faster, sadly. Um, so, this podcast that John and I have been doing for the past couple of years, it's just about having a conversation when things get tough. Okay. Instead of just keeping things quietly to yourselves and suffering. And which is what I did with my autoimmune through work, through hair loss and everything. I just kept it to myself and he reached out to me and this podcast was born. And so the thing that I noticed right away about you, first of all, I had to search for you. I'm like, what happened to her? Where'd she go? go? Yeah. And then I read your post, which was shocking, but you were very candid like from the very beginning, it seems like you didn't shy away from the event that happened to you. And that's not easy to do. I think I really felt a need to sort of be specific about what happened to me because I'm really in hindsight shocked at the way I reacted to it. You know, I was a news anchor with Channel 8 for 20 years, but I did a lot of health reporting. Yes. And I didn't do all the things you're supposed to do. I mean, I didn't go to the hospital immediately. I just sort of kept, I was in denial. Can you take us back to that moment or that night or when things started to seem maybe not right? Well, I'd had a really sore neck that week, but I have a, you know, neck pain anyways. A lot of people do that sit at desks and look down at computers and things like that. And I really didn't think too much of it. And I had been having headaches that week and it was the 23rd of December. I finished the 11 o'clock newscast, went home. It's about midnight and I'm just same routine I've had for 20 years of washing my face, putting my clothes away. And I was going to have a week and a half off, which I was really excited about because even to get a week off in broadcasting yeah. was a big deal. So over and above that, it was just wonderful. And uh, I bent over to put a pair of shoes away in the closet. And when I stood up, it's I felt something snap or pull. But at the same time, I felt this incredible, horrendous pain in my head, that quickly spread down my neck into uh, the very, very top of my back. I thought maybe I put something, you know, I twisted something, something popped. I thought it was just physical. Mm-hmm. So I, I was rubbing it and rubbing it, but the thunderous pain kept coming back into my head, rounds of it. And I went 
and told my husband, I woke him up and I said, I think I have the new strain of COVID because this is the end of 2020. So it's right at the peak of the pandemic. Right. And headaches and were, were part of but the symptoms. symptoms. And the symptoms were changing a little yeah. bit with each strain. So mm-hmm. I said, I don't, I don't know if that's what it is, but it, you know, he checked my temperature and I didn't really have one, maybe a very low grade one. He said, I don't know, just do you want to go to the hospital? No, I didn't want to go to the hospital at that time. Maybe another time I would have. But I yeah, said, I hell at the hospital at that horrible. time. Yeah. So I really gave it, I said, let me try and lie down for a minute. But when something really profound has happened to your brain, you will get up and get sick from the pain. And I did. So you laid down? I laid down and then I got up and I had to get sick. I had to throw up, which with mm. the pain in my head was excruciating. And I, then I said, I need to go. And this is a few hours later. Well, because whenever anybody says you want to go to the hospital, you're like, oh, I got to check in, got to go through that whole thing. Right. So it's like the last thing that you want to do. And because of, because of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as it was, he drove me over. I live in Encinitas. He drove me to Scripps Encinitas and he let me out on the curb and never saw me again because that's all mm-hmm. you could do. Yeah. They came and got me with a little wheelchair and they rolled me not into the emergency room, but into the tent off to the side. Oh. So I'm with all the other COVID people. Oh, Which shoot. is a nightmare in itself. Yeah. And I've got my mask on and I'm just still in excruciating pain and a little bit in shock. And I could hear a young fellow next to me, maybe about 30 years old. He kept saying to the nurse, excuse me, I, I can't breathe. I'm having trouble breathing. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And they asked me about my symptoms and I wasn't experiencing that. So I think they realized after a while they didn't have a COVID patient with me, so they took me inside. Wait, how long was that? How long were you I out there? I was honestly outside for 20 minutes. Mm. Wow. And I could feel every bump in the sidewalk oh. and on the little ramp taking me inside when I was in that little makeshift wheelchair. And uh, spoke with the doctors and nurses. They got me a bed. They said, we're going to run a quick scan of your head but it sounds like you might have meningitis because of the pain in the neck. So we're also going to do a lumbar tap. Okay. So they did the head scan first and the doctor came back. Uh, I, you know, and the time frame is blurry for me. Um, but he looked kind of shocked and said, we're not going to do the lumbar tap. He said, because the results of your scan came back and you have a significant amount of blood on your brain. Jeez. And I just... Was that, you know, I'm tired you and even, I'm a little bit shocked. Yeah. I couldn't really process it. And I could hear the nurses in the hallway saying, I know I'm shocked. I thought she had meningitis. So I didn't know at the time, but if you look up information online, which you should never do when something like that ever. first happens to no. you, ever, ever, no. ever, ever, don't do it. Back away from the internet. Um, most people die. Mm. I think that, you know, less than 50% of people survive something like that, which I'm glad I didn't know at the time. And I don't think I even asked, am I going to live? I just thought it's something that had to be treated. But the best case scenario is they don't treat it. The body reabsorbs the blood blood. and you heal. Okay. They put me in an ambulance, gave me some morphine and took me to Scripps La Jolla where I had a cerebral angiogram. And that determined that this is the next morning, maybe going on to noon. I really don't know. But they said it looks like it's starting to be absorbed. So we're going to keep an eye on it because if it doesn't and there's any swelling of any kind, they remove the top part of your skull. Oh, wow. So so, so you're saying that once you have this, the body immediately turns it around and can turn it around and immediately start absorbing? If you're lucky. Hmm. 
And I don't know why mine worked that way, but that's what happened. So when you, when you're hearing something like that, like you said, you didn't really, you were tired. There were a lot of other surrounding factors for you to, for your reaction to be what it was. When did it hit you? Like I might be in trouble. I think when I was having the angiogram. Okay. Because there were two doctors in there. You know, when you've... The more doctors, the worse. When you've got a neurology team that jumps right on it at a time like that, when the hospital is already overwhelmed mm-hmm. with this horrible virus, I knew something must have been up. And then I was shortly after that admitted to the ICU, and I was the only conscious person in the ICU. Oh. Wow. And you didn't get COVID being no, exposed you have, you, to you so You have your own people. room, and they were all sealed off. Okay. And... Anytime anyone came in, it was almost like they had hazmat equipment on. Um, And I just heard ventilators the whole time I was there. So you're in the ICU. What are they doing for you? Monitoring you. That's it. And you almost get, as the days go by, something they call ICU. um, Oh, I can't remember the the term they use for it, but it... You start going crazy after a while because people are waking you up like a sundowner. every couple of hours to draw blood, yeah. to check your blood pressure, this, that, and the other, and to ask you a series of questions. What's your name? Do you know where you are? Do you know what year it is? What day it is? Who's the president? And then checking the strength in your arms and feet. And so that was probably multi-day occurrence. That went on for seven days. Oh, my mm. gosh. And then I eventually left that bed for just a regular bed in the hospital. Um, so obviously in that seven days, the bleed had absorbed significantly. Yes. The, typically it's a 21-day window where they monitor you to make sure it doesn't happen again. Okay. And you're, you're really doing well if you make it through that 21-day window without anything recurring. Is there something that they can do to stop it? I never got to that. How did it call, how did it happen? Because like you said, you were at home, you follow health for a living semi, you go into a normal routine, you went down, you came back up, but then bang. Yeah. Could you pinpoint or start to do backtracking of how you got to where you were? Was there a moment in time where you think that where it occurred or where it began or what could have led to it? Was it a diet? Was it an accident? Nothing health related, except that with a brain bleed, it's typically caused by hitting your head Mm. at some point in your life. So maybe that's what happened to me, or maybe this was just one little rogue vein that was a ticking time bomb for a long time. And I've had a cerebral angiogram as a follow-up. There's no indication I will ever have this happen to me again. I'm not on statins. Um, The doctor at the first hospital said to me, I don't know why this happened to you. Your blood work's incredible. Your veins are pristine. Hmm. How often are you checked? Well, I I go in and I have blood work done on a regular basis. And I have follow-up work done with my neurologist. And I've also had a lot of, um, you know, checking my function with various doctors to see how well I do function and determine, determine, is there any lingering brain damage? If so, what kind of damage does she have? That sort of thing. So what was the most profound or were there multiple effects of what happened to you? Brain fog and fatigue. It's kind of like you're living with an extreme, uh, just a concussion. It's like you have a concussion. 
And um, for probably the first six months, I noticed that it has gotten a little bit better. But, you know, later in the day when I become tired, I search for words, which, um, you know, Kim, you know, when you work in broadcasting, that's not something. <laughs> yeah, that's a challenge for you. Yes. And um Something that I always sort of accelerated at was doing breaking news where you have to do a lot of ab-libbing and, and I, I couldn't do that now. Um, so that I noticed the most and, and energy, you know, I was, uh, I always went for a workout before I went in for my nine hour shift and I was always pretty wide awake when I got home. Energy was never a factor. So you just, you leave a lot of who you used to be behind. Even to this day? Yes. Because I, I was noticing in some of your posts that you said that like light really bothered you and you had to get special glasses. Yes. To be able, so it was the sensitivity of the light that affected your brain? Um, that's just an after effect of a head injury. People okay. with concussions quite often describe uh, having a sensitivity to light and also loud noises. Is that still a factor? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it is. My son is a drummer in a band and anytime <laughs> I go see them play... Or any kind of live music, I have to wear earplugs. I wear earplugs when I go to a movie now. Does Do these symptoms, are they going to lessen even more? The interesting thing about the human brain is for all the advancements in medicine, there's still a lot of mystery when it comes to the brain and brain injuries. So, I, uh, you know, some doctors have told me your recovery could continue. It could go be from 12 months to 36 months. You could still be recovering. You maybe not so much so. Has something like this changed the way that you approach every day? Because often, yes. oftentimes when people have such a, a jarring medical experience, they wake up different. They, they, they smell the air different. They love the people around them different. How has that changed for you? Everything has changed. And, you know, you ever hear people that say this is actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me in some respects? I was very wound up before real type A, which broadcasting is full of type A personalities. And I, I always, I never really fully relaxed. And now I, I know how to do it. And I don't let small things bother me at all. Like it takes a lot for me to get upset. I'm just, just, you know, you can put the signs up all around your home. (laughs) Don't let the little stuff bother you, that sort of thing. Enjoy the small things, but I really do. When you, but when you have such a, a long career at something, like you said, you get wired, you're a type A person. Like, that's still in you. How do you find it without uh, taking the space of what you did for 20 years and filling that with something else? I haven't really got to that yet. Okay. It's sort of a work in progress. And I think I have to find something, but it will be something other than live television. Um, cognitive testing shows that where I am now in my recovery, as remarkable as it's been, if I'm tasked with several things at once and then put under a time constraint, I simply don't function that well. Hmm. My cognitive functioning declines. Okay. So I think that would make me not a good candidate for live television, especially (laughs) in a broadcast news environment. It just wouldn't, you know, and I loved it. I have to say the thing that always stood out to me the most with you, and I think because my background is radio, is your ad-libbing is spot on. Oh, thank you. No, not only is it spot on, it's snappy. (laughs) And I think Carlo was like the perfect 
partner for you. He was like your straight man. My little brother, I yeah. used to call him. Yeah. I mean, it, it just that little repartee is probably is is not easy. I know that that's not easy, but you had it mastered. And and so you feel like that part of you is would struggle. I think if that's all I was doing and it was maybe a, a lighter subject and I wasn't having to uh, take in news facts at the same time and sort of be on the edge of my seat, which you are when you're doing live news, I think it's still there. I don't know yet. I haven't really tested it. And what about this whole impact on your family, your children? You have two children mm-hmm. and your husband. What has that been like? Um, well, there's stuck with me at home a lot, which I don't know if that's a good thing for them or not. Um, my daughter came home during the pandemic because she worked in television uh, up in LA and that was all shut down. So um, when I had that happen to me at the end of 2020, I mean, we spent a lot of time together, which kind of was a gift because as a working mother, I felt like I got a lot of time back during those months. And now I think they're just sort of almost getting to know me as a different person because I I do a lot of cooking and baking and I can do things for people. And I was just gone so much before. Well, things aren't quite the rush. Yeah. You know, you're I mean, getting... gone, you know, you know physically, but, yeah. but also mentally a little bit too, because when you really have a full plate, you're a little more tuned out than you realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, you, but you have to be to succeed in an industry in which, as a, as a woman in that industry, you have to be type A. You have to be driven in a sense where A, B, and C, everything's got to be on time. Everything's got to be where it needs to be. Or then you have to turn into this person. And to, in, to avoid that, you have to be straight line with a lot of things. And so sometimes to be great, I think a lot of times when you do something for 20 years, you reach the status that you did. I think people understand the dedication that it takes to that. Something has to lose. You can't keep pouring into the same bucket. Like something has to, something has to give way. And a lot of times it's, it's people's relationships with their family and people close to them because you're trying to help provide for them. And so in a sense, you kind of go, well, I have to do this for my family, but my family also may suffer from that. And so when you got that time back with them, like what did you miss the most when you got it back and you would sit with them or you would see yourself doing something and go, man, this is awesome. Dinner. Sitting around for family dinner every night because I was never home for dinner. And I realized what a great rapport the four of us had sitting around talking about life and laughing and sharing stories. And just it was it, it was a lot of time back, but it was also a lot of new time mm-hmm. in the sense, the routine of it. You know, Did you I, feel like you were meeting them? Some parts of it, yeah. And finding out little routines that they had, shows that they watched and things that they did. And everybody sits down and watches Jeopardy at 730. (laughs) I was never home for that. Isn't that funny? Because there has to be adjustments because you worked nights. Yeah. And then I worked mornings. And just the other day, my husband took out a knife and and he had... Uh, where's the story Whoa, going? Uh, yeah, uh-oh. no, because because he, he would have to make the lunches every morning for the kids because you know I was long gone. Right. But I don't know if there really is a true balance. It, it's really hard because there something has to give. It's that old saying, you know, have it all. I don't think anyone really does, but no. I think that's okay. It is okay. You could still have a lot and be grateful right. for that. Be grateful for what you have. But um, I think time spent pursuing having it all 
especially if I reflect on it, is is a waste. It mm. is. And yeah. especially when you're younger, I don't think you, sometimes you get on a cycle of advancing and, and having things and having this great career and you may not appreciate it as much. Like that, my second go around at it, I did it 100% differently than I did the first time. There's an appreciation of it that I didn't have just because everything happens so fast sometimes. I don't know. It's You get a different perspective, I think, as you get older, too, on life and how things have to be managed because it's not easy. Well, that's another thing. If you hear people say, oh, I'm so much happier in my 40s or 50s because I'm more confident and I know so much more and I understand. When you're in your 20s, you think, I don't buy that. No. You're just you know, living the life. I want to be young forever. Yeah. Um, but, you, but you really do. Um, I'm th- so very thankful for the perspective I have on things now, you know, through time and things that have happened to me. But it also seems like part of your healing has been made incredibly more loving because of the environment, you, your work environment. I mean, you really seem to have such a connection. You know, there's a lot of power in the pictures that you've posted and the people that have stuck by you and continue to stick by you. I mean, that speaks a lot about who you are as well. You know, and a lot of times people ask me, do you miss your job? Do you miss being on the air? And I can genuinely say, I miss the people the most. I miss uh, being in the newsroom. Um, it's not the on-air part of it I miss the most. It's, it's the meetings and the process and working with others and that whole environment, that part of it. I miss more than anything. But that's what, this is a personal belief of mine, that's what makes people great. I think a lot of people think when you watch an athlete, what they do on the field, like that's what makes them great. You watch a person be an actor, you watch a person on television, you go, that, well, that's what makes them great. No, 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 no. What they do before you see them, that's what makes them great. The fact that they can fall into that process and like you said, create things and, and, and meet with people and, and form the show and then go out and do it the greatness is informing it, not necessarily the action, because it sounds bad, but anybody can do the action because there people are gifted at a lot of things. Anybody can do the action, the building of it. I've always found out that's where the real greatness is. That's where the real success is. Especially if you're going to have longevity. Yes. In doing whatever you're passionate about, yes. you know, and I, even though, my career as it was came to an abrupt end. Um, you know, there was no winding down or being able to have farewell shows or anything like that. I did. I enjoyed incredible longevity doing something that most people never get to do, even those that strive to do it. I mean, I was told even in broadcasting school, a very small percentage of you will make a living doing this and an even smaller percent will end up on the air. When you go back to... The, your decision to not go back to work, can you kind of take us through that process? Well, I think it was a bit of a waiting game in the beginning to see how much better I was going to get. And then just as time went on, I realized I was feeling better. I was enjoying my life more. But in sort of testing myself, testing boundaries on a daily basis, I and, and trying to imagine myself in that environment, it was kind of a happy, sad feeling because that's when I was reminded of what my limitations were. Mm. Yeah, You know, you have to sort of be aware of it and accept it. If you don't accept it, you're never going to find something else that you like doing. And so a lot of it was just acceptance. And I think, you know, 
months afterwards, I, I had a feeling that it, it wasn't going to be something that I was going to return to. And um, Channel 8 was very patient. And it seems like they were. They, they were. Yeah. You know, and they, they even said, if you ever wanted to come back in another capacity, let us know. And I, and I don't know what that could be. You it's know, hard you, to redefine. You can't be the person in, in a newsroom that says, I can't do the stressful part. If yeah. things right. get stressful, I'm going to have to go for a walk. That's yeah. not really how um, news gathering works. So no. um, I think I could go back to something similar, but it wouldn't be that. You know, it, it, thinking of going back to radio makes me want to choke because it just <laughs> wasn't fun anymore. We just didn't enjoy it. But there's so much more to media now. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. just radio and TV anymore. No, there's I mean, so many there's platforms. so many platforms. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Here we are. And it's so, there's no pressure. There, You can be you. You can say what you want to say. There's no time limit. I mean, there is a definite freedom to doing something like this or calling your own shots and, and because you do have a voice and you are passionate and you are good and doing it in within your own, I don't know, comfort. Yeah. Which is a huge part of it because I think, you know, you're talking about women having so much pressure on them in that industry. I mean, more so than ever before. I don't mm-hmm. think that's ever going to end for as many strides as we make. Um, but look just, at us now. But look at us now. Woo! We're no shoes. We're in sweats. <laughs> did you really put your foot up? Yeah, I did. This is, I mean, you know, this is I have more to say, me. I used to be so jealous of the people heading over to do their shift in radio because I'm, you know, squeezing oh. into a dress and I'm putting on all this makeup. And I've not worn hairspray or foundation since this happened to me. <laughs> right? Yes, because I can touch my skin now and I'm not wiping anything off. I mean, women go through the whole nine yards, but you know, to get ready to go on the air. It's oh. incredible. No, it's a process and it's yeah. a pain in the ass. What have you seen change from a woman's perspective in the news in, in, the, in the last 20 years? Uh, I think we're in the last 20 years, maybe I'm sure it started before that, but we're not seen as, um, the lady on the news desk anymore as we are uh, one of the journalists, a news anchor. I think we're, I would, I would like to think that. And I, you know, now I've been out of it for a year and a half. I can only speak to my experience, Mm -hmm. but, um, I just felt it even in my time at, at CBS, I felt changes. Do you do you look back on any of those things and go like what's the one thing that happened over your career the st- maybe it been a story or a person that you met while covering a story that you will never forget like something that's like stuck with you to this day like an incredible experience yes I got to go to the White House and do a one-on-one interview with President Obama. Nice. There you, so there you that go. That was pretty cool. There you go. It well, would be yeah. hard to eclipse that. Yeah, that was. Uh, and I had been in the business for years and years, and I was shaking as I was being walked down the hall to meet him. Do you have a good sense of humor? He's wonderful. Were you able to do a little shtick with him? Very, very, very warm, greeted me, shook my hand, and I just, I remember the producer that went with me said, try not to take notes in with you because I'll have to try and crop them out of the shot if you're asking questions. So I didn't. And uh, it was during the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the Blackhawks were in it. And I yeah. asked him at the end, I said, who do you think is going to win the Stanley Cup? And he laughed. And I said on an unrelated note, after you know, I'd wrapped up the interview, because I just wanted to get a little laugh out of him, which is very easy. Um, and he said, well, of course, the Blackhawks. And we had a good laugh about it. And 
That's the last thing I remember of that interview. That's very cool. Yeah. That would be an interview that would be a lot of fun, especially today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, oh, was, it was pretty yeah. great. It was pretty great. And then um, probably about a year later, the vice president at the time, Joe Biden, came to San Diego, and I got a one-on-one interview with him. And a funny thing happened at that one. I asked if I could get a picture of myself with him to send to my daughter to show her what I did that day, you know, um, and she had finished her semester at school and was at home. And I remember he said to me, well, do you have a phone? Let's call her. Oh, oh wow. My God. And I said, really? And he said, sure. So I got up my cell phone and I dialed uh, the number and I thought, oh, I hope she answers. <laughs> you know, college students, when they first come home, they get out and of it's bed mom. at in the afternoon. And she picked up the phone and said, hello. And I said, hi, Kirsten, hang on a second. Somebody wants to say hi. And she knew where I was. Okay. So she, I just heard her say, oh. <laughs> and he picked up the phone and said, hello, Kirsten, this is Joe Biden. And I could just hear her voice just change to hello. <laughs> I love that. That yeah. is so funny. That's the great stuff that comes out of doing what it, you do. Yeah, it was Because just, the people that you're able to meet and the stories that you have, you know, you just, it's part of it that's the great part. And I interviewed Oprah. Oh. But that was only a satellite interview. I don't know if you know how those work. So it was to promote the next season of her show. So they're going from, from one. station to station mm-hmm. to station. Southwestern part of the country is last. So I could hear her energy. I mean, she's been at it for hours and hours, and I got her at the very end of it. Wow. And by then, I mean, this is Oprah. This, I, You know, I can honestly say it was like bigger than interviewing a president in some respects, because it's Oprah. Yeah, right. Because there's and, an aura there. Yeah, and I you... Just get the impression right off the bat that it's not your interview. <laughs> really? Yes. So how did it go? You. She is. I don't know who would interview her and be in control of the interview. I think the closest right. I ever saw was David Letterman. She's and not the a two subject of them at all. sort of had a like an equal standing. They uh, right. just like a host off. Yes. But other than that, I think anybody else interviewing <laughs> yeah. her, it's you're just the vehicle. She's in charge of the interview. That That's is awesome. very yeah. funny. Well, she definitely has a voice. Yeah. Um, you have to figure out a way to be another presence in some capacity because there's, you know, you have something about you, which is what made you last for two decades here in San Diego. I think that is just um, so easy about you. Well, I have to say, this feels like a vitamin shot or something. I feel very good being here today. And I'm so happy you invited me. Thank you so much. And thank you for bugging me until I came. But there was a certain amount of nerves because it's you, you know, just thinking and talking. And there was a, you know, there were months after I first had my brain injury where I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. So, um, this has been wonderful. But there's something in this for people to learn, and that's mm-hmm. and you being so candid, I think, is really important. I, th- I also think, just by sitting here and talking to you, I, and then you say you interviewed Oprah, which is funny because I think I can see you sitting with people and interviewing, not in a news aspect or like in a breaking news aspect, like you said, but in a situation where you can sit on the couch and just be comfortable with someone, but in a television, in a news format. Right. And so I, th- I think you would just sitting here talking to you, it feels comfortable. And I think you can repeat that with other people. And so I'd be interested to see, because obviously, you know, you don't know what you're going to do next because right. your health's going to tell you your health's going to guide you 
on what you do next. But I, I, I know you're not done. I know oh, you're not done. That feels good. That ha- feels good to hear. And I like, I think it's a very healthy way to think. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm done. I really don't want to. No, because I, when you're creative, you still have that little tick in you that says, I, I want to do something. And sometimes that something is super hard to define. And sometimes you're not totally aware of it until you revisit it in yeah. some sense. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of what's happening to me today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're glad that you came. Thank you. And I'm glad that uh, we persisted and that you shared your story because it, it is a tough story for you, but you're you're forging ahead and you're, um, I don't know, you're making it all good again. Thank so. you. Thank you so much. I, I'm glad to share. I've never, I think now um, it's another thing that comes with age, but I'm much more comfortable sharing things like that. Yeah. I'm not guarded anymore. Right. It's just, um, it's okay. Life's too short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is okay. It's okay. It's okay. Talk about it. Yeah. It's- because there's a lot of strength and comfort that comes from sharing. And I found that uh, after my brain bleed, when people wrote me notes on Facebook saying, this happened to me and describing what they went through and just, you know, you, you're going to get better. And, you know, my thoughts, it just any little, but sharing their experience. And, and I would read some of the, these long letters and think, oh, that's how I felt. That's how I'm feeling right now. To, and there's a, that sense of normalcy right, for something that is otherwise abnormal. To finish, to finish up here, that's how we started this because I didn't know she was sick at all. Zero, none. She hit it very well. And it was early in the morning. Everybody's like, Ugh. but for the most part, she hit it very well. And when she told me what was happening to her, that was the driving force behind all of this because she had gone through so much for so long. But with her skill set, she could help people, even if it's one person. That one person might help a hundred people. Letting people know, because she had no idea what was wrong with her, but helping people and letting them know you're not by yourself. You're not alone. And those Facebook messages that you're speaking of, yes. that's what we wanted to do for people. We wanted to be that Facebook message for people to say, you're not alone. What you're going through, other people are going through these things. And, and don't get too down on yourself. Other people are here for you. I so. love that. Yeah, absolutely. And we need it, uh, you know, now more than ever before yeah. with the last two years in particular, there's always difficult things going on, but um, human beings have been through a lot. Yes. So let's, let's be yeah. there for each other. Nice exactly. Each other. Uh, you don't know what people are going through. Yeah. And if we can all help each other, I just, there's so much benefit to that. Um, mm-hmm. You just want to help everybody. Yeah, so absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right.